You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Amen. Awesome. Why don't we take our seats together? Thank you so much, uh, musicians, singers, and uh, well, good morning. Let me try that again. Good morning. And uh, great to be with you here. Let me extend my welcome to you, particularly if you are new or newish here amongst us or joining online. Uh, Very, very welcome. Uh, A very warm welcome to you. Great to be together. Um, Great that we've just taken a few moments to pray into the situation that has filled our new screens over the last week or so. And uh, we will continue to do so Friday night. As Esther said, was very powerful here as we gave the, the full time of our prayer meeting over to pray for the situation in, in Ukraine. And, you know, let's, let's learn something of the last two years of what we've walked through with various dramatic challenges uh, coming uh, across our lives that we, uh, we don't spend so much time on the news feed and the social media feed that we'd fail to spend enough time on our knees. And uh, it's important we stay abreast of the situations. It's also one of the key things that the church can do and must do is be prayerful. And uh, let's make sure that we continue to be a prayerful people. We'll continue to pray privately and corporately into this situation. Uh, We're also aware that um, it's very likely the situations, the implications, even while we pray for peace and intervention, there's likely to be long-term implications. And uh, so here today, I'm not going to seek to speak into the contemporary situation that's probably in all of our minds, but continue to speak into what we sense the Lord is saying to us as a community. And these are not actually disjoins because we sense, uh, Esther used the word last week, reset the something as we've come into 2022 of God raising the spiritual temperature here among us, the call to be set apart, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, set apart for God. Last week's message about relationships, a number of people were impacted. It's all really about returning to the higher ground that the Lord has called us to. And if we are going to be effective in the things in the earth, to be a people that are fully available, fully committed, holy, set apart part, different, living higher, living to what Jesus has called us to live to, then we will be useful in however the Lord wants us to be useful. And uh, so today and next week, we are going to be speaking into a subject that we're calling Disciples Make Disciples. Disciples Make Disciples. And uh, we're going to roll that through life groups this week and next week. Uh, as well. And this is part of what we sense the Lord is doing, uh, raising the temperature among us and reminding us of what he has called us to do and called us to be. If you've got a Bible or access to the scriptures with you, why don't you turn with me to Matthew chapter 28, very famous verses uh, 16 to 20. If you're new to the Bible, if you're new to church, then let me just set the scene of what is going on here as we break in to Jesus' 
speaking to the disciples, Jesus, we believe, is God who came and made his dwelling among us and lived a sinless and perfect life. And at the age of 33, went to the cross, died on the cross, took the sin of the world, your sin, my sin, your shame, my shame, upon himself, uh, bore the price we should have paid when he was nailed to the cross and died, was laid in a tomb on the third day, rose again from the dead, defeating hell, defeating sin. Can I hear an amen in the house? And, uh, and here where we catch the end of Matthew 28, Jesus is about to ascend in bodily form up to heaven to return to the Father. And he's gathering to himself. He has had numbers of followers. Uh, sometimes uh, we hear that there were hundreds of people and then the challenge came and they dissipated. At times he sent out the 72. But he had with him throughout the Gospels 12 people chosen, but one of them betrayed him. And right now, the risen Jesus is speaking to the 11 that remain. And this is what the Bible says, Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely... I am with you always to the very end of the age. What an incredible scene. I think this moment is in some ways so understated. In the Bible there, there are some eternity-shaping moments. Like right in the beginning where it says, God spoke and said, let there be light. The, the moment where the angels sang among the shepherds, uh, a Savior has been born who is Christ the Lord. The moment where Jesus hangs on the cross and cries out, it is finished. The moment where the ladies are at the tomb on the third day and an angel says he's not here because he's risen. There are moments that are eternity shaping and I believe this is one of these eternity shaping moments. The risen Jesus gathers the 11 and he tells them all authority in heaven and on earth is now mine. You know, if, if, we didn't, if we didn't know what was coming, if, if, this, was, if this was a series on TV, uh, like not a Netflix series where you can immediately go to the next bit, but back in the day, some of you remember where you had to wait a week to see what was going to happen next. If it was one of these moments, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, therefore, and we kind of wait to see, we'd be thinking, what is he going to say? He's going to say, uh, follow me as I bring the glory of God in the earth. He's going to say, surely I am now on with a revolution in the earth. Come with me as I conquer evil. And he says, therefore, you go. He empowers the 11, some of whom are worshipping and some of whom are doubting. And he says, here's what's going to happen. As I've made you disciples, you are going to make disciples here in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And surely I'm with you to the end of the age. And he empowers, he, he releases his authority 
And he commissions those that have been with him to go and do to others as he has done to them. What an incredible moment. When I became a Christian, many of you will have heard me share, I was 17 years of age. And if you, if you became, if you didn't grow up in church like me, you'll understand what I'm saying when, when I say that when I became a Christian, it, everything was brand new. It was an incredible experience going to every song I'd never heard before. And so there might be a song I really loved, and next week I'd hope they do it again. I couldn't remember what it was called, you know, but it, I was like a kid going through the turnstiles of a theme park. Trying to orientate myself, trying to understand what there was to do, the exciting environment that I'd come into. I remember somebody coming up to me and giving me a scripture from the book of Joshua. I thought they were the most spiritual person on the earth because I didn't even know there was a book of Joshua. And he brought this, this verse to be strong and courageous that most of us here would know. But for me, I thought he'd found like a needle in a haystack, this incredible word out of the whole of the New Testament. I thought, wow, who is this? guy. I didn't even know there was a book of Joshua. It was all brand new, and it took me a while to realize God had not called me to just be forgiven from my sin, which was really how I had come to faith. I'd, I'd engage with the message of the cross, the gospel, and I realized I was a sinner in need of a savior, and I'd come and I'd ask Jesus to forgive me. It took me a while to realize he was calling me to become like him, and he was also calling me to, to bring this news to others and to lead others to become like him too. This is the call. We don't tend to use the word disciple in everyday language very much. But if we come back to these verses, we understand that, that if we are believers, if we are followers of Christ, if we call ourselves Christians, then we are disciples. Why don't you say, I am a disciple? You might not call yourself a disciple, but the Bible calls you a disciple before it calls you a Christian. If you're seeking to follow Jesus, if you believe in him, you are a disciple. And this message that came to the 11 disciples to go and make other disciples, it comes to us. And so we better understand what this word means. A disciple was not a special word given to the 12, to Peter and James and John and so on. It is a word given to every believer. In the book of Acts, the believers are called disciples. It says the number of disciples grew rapidly. Saul stayed with the disciples in Damascus. It wasn't the 12. They were in Jerusalem. It's the followers. It's believers. And in Acts 11 in Antioch, it says it was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. Now, we, we tend to call ourselves Christians now, but before we were called Christians, we were called disciples. The word disciple comes from the Greek word in the New Testament, Mephites. There's about 300 references, and pretty well every single one of them comes from this word, Mephites. This word, Mephites, which means committed learner or devoted follower. There's a root word, math, to learn, but it's understood that it is thought accompanied by endeavor. It is not learning for learning's sake. It is learning with change that results. Another word might be follower, imitator. I think the best word that, that I can come up with or that I've heard for this is adherent. An adherent, someone who adheres to the teaching, someone who is seeking to be shaped and changed, a follower of Jesus to be not learning about his teachings, but be seeking to follow him in every way. Jesus has called us to be more than those who hear his word. 
There's an old phrase, he may be attending my lectures, but he certainly is not one of my students. Jesus is not looking for people to attend his lectures. It certainly isn't a follower in the Instagram sense of the world word. You may have hundreds of followers. I'm not sure how many adherents any of us may have. Jesus is not looking for a click or a like. He's looking for followership. To understand it better, we need to back up a little bit further. You see, the idea of disciple, which can be lost on us today, was very much at the heart of the center of the fabric of the Jewish community. You see, the the Jewish community where Jesus uh, grew up in, there was the Greek word mephites, but the Hebrew word is talmud. And a Talmud is a disciple, and it was very much understood within that culture. You see, from the ages of 5 to 10, boys uh, were part of their initial part of education called Bet Sophia, and they memorized the, the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. The girls from 5 to 10, their Bet Sophia was to memorize Psalms, Proverbs, Deuteronomy, Leviticus. And at that point, most of the girls, uh, well, the, all of the girls actually went to their homes uh, where they prepared for marriage. And most of the boys also went to their homes and they learned to ply the family trade. But the best of the boys progressed to the next stage of the Jewish education system, what was called Bet Talmud. And there they memorized the rest of the Hebrew Testament. And at 13, most of them went to ply the family trade. But the best of the best progressed to another stage of education, which was called Bet Midrash, where they learned how to apply the Torah and the half Torah. And then at 15, education was complete for the best of the best. Unless the best of the best of the best, they wanted to follow a rabbi. You see, to follow a rabbi was to come into what was called their Talmudim, which was their group of disciples. Every Jewish rabbi had a group of disciples, and the disciples were not there to learn more educationally. They were to become like the rabbi. They were to be fashioned and shaped into the person that had been teaching them. And if a young man, who was the best of the best of the best, wanted to be part of a Talmudim, they would have to come and approach a rabbi with fear and trembling, And they'd ask a question, and the question was, can I be like you? Or can I follow you? And really what they were asking is, can I I come in to the Talmudim? And the rabbi would look at this young man, and, and really the question they're asking is, can they be like me? Can they be shaped like me? Not not are they educationally bright. Have they got what it takes to walk the walk? Not to learn the knowledge or talk the talk. Have they got what it takes? And if they weren't sure, then they would say, you have learned the Torah well from a young age. Now go apply your family trade. It was a gentle letdown. But if they felt that a young man could come within the Talmud and be shaped and become like that, if their heart was teachable, if they were going to change and become, then they would say these words, come follow me, which meant you're in. You, you, you passed, you got through. Come and be a Talmud, come and be a disciple. So something profound happens where Jesus, he goes and, and he doesn't wait for those to come to him. He's recognized as a rabbi through his teaching with authority. And he goes and finds people that weren't the best of the best of the best. 
And he comes to the likes of Peter, a fisherman who probably, who probably returned to ply the family trade after Bethsaphia. And he says to him, come follow me. He's saying, come be like me. Come be a disciple. And why is this so important for us? Because we understand when he gathered the 12, the 11 that are here on the mountain, really what he's saying to us, he's saying, will you be changed and be like me in every way? This is what it means. This is the call. If we are, have decided to follow Jesus, and there was a Hebrew blessing that would come and uh, be given to a young man who was accepted into a Talmudim. And it was this, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. What a great blessing. It was really saying, may you walk so close to your rabbi that even the dust from his feet comes upon you. That you might become like him. That you might be changed to be like him. And this is what Jesus calls us to be. Those who are covered in his dust, as it were. We are so like him. But here on the mountain, he calls to the eleven and he charges them to make other disciples. He's challenged them to take up their cross daily and follow him. He said, unless you give up everything you have, you can't be my disciple." Matthew 7, 21 to 27, end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says these incredibly sobering words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore... Let's catch this, church. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But anyone who hears these words and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Friends, Jesus isn't looking for a people who will fill a congregation. He's looking for disciples, adherents, Followers willing to be covered in his dust. He's, he's not looking for those who will watch YouTube sermons and acquire more knowledge or inspiration. He's looking for disciples who will change and become like him. He isn't looking for religious people who get fat on knowledge. He's looking for disciples who will leave all to follow him. And here's the thing. On the mountain, he calls the 11, the Talmudim, the followers, the disciples, the Mathetes, and he says... Go and make more of these. This is what I'm looking for. This is it. So I have two questions for us. Number one, are we following hard after Jesus? And number two, are we investing our lives to help others to do the same? What does disciple making look like? Well, uh, the emphasis of Matthew 28 is clearly go and make disciples. Go and win people to me and then help them to grow. But I think if we understand discipleship, it's almost like a compass with us at the center. And there are different aspects of discipleship. There's us at the middle, but then if you think north, there's, there's growing from others. 
We are all being discipled. There are others that are further on than us, than us in different areas of our lives. There's also a growing with others, east and west, I might call it. Those, those brothers and sisters for us to run with, it's part of our discipleship to help us to stay on track and to grow. And then if you consider it south, there's helping others to grow. Briefly, I'm going to touch on these ideas. Number one, if we come to the middle, there is my own discipleship. And I want to encourage us today, church, to be a true follower. Uh, I have to attend to my own walk. I have to attend to my own fire. I cannot do your push-ups for you. James, I wish you could do my push-ups for me. But I have to do my own push-ups, right? I have to go to the gym myself. I can't delegate the losing of weight to somebody else. Hello? And it is the same spiritually. I have to attend, first and foremost, to my own fire. We'll stand before him on that day. 1 Corinthians 3 talks about the day, the capital D, where we will stand before him and our work will be tested by fire. And the Bible says, if it stands the test of the fire, if it's silver, gold, and costly stones, then we will receive our reward. But if, if the work of our lives is wood, hay, and straw, then it will be burned up. Even though we will get in as one escaping through the flames, our lives will be tested. Paul writing to the church in Rome, Romans 12, 9 to 13. I love these verses. We, we should do a series on this. It says this, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. And catch this, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. I have to attend to my own spiritual fervor. My number one role in my life is disciple. That I'm talking about me personally. At the age of about 30, my life had, had reached a different level of complexity. I was married. I, I had kids. I was working for a church in, in full-time church ministry. I had a business on the side I was trying to make succeed. And I was also a son, and I was a brother, and I was a friend. And I found in my week, I just found myself failing because I couldn't keep up with trying to be good in all of these areas of my life. And, and I understood the idea of roles, I'm not talking about layers of fat. Um, the, the idea that, that we have multiple roles. I, and I, someone introduced to me the idea that in all of these areas, they are roles. And uh, so what I did for a season, on a Sunday afternoon every week, I would go down a list of seven roles, and I would say, what this week is the single most important thing I can do as a husband, as a father? But you know what? My number one role was and is disciple. That's what I wrote down, disciple. Because whatever else happens, if I was working full-time for a church, but if that changed, I'm still a disciple. Before anything else, I'm a disciple. And also, actually, if I get disciple right, if I get my following of Jesus right, it will help me in all of my other roles. But I have to attend to my own fire. The other thing, it will help us if our discipleship is hot and true then it will impact our disciple-making of others. John Maxwell puts it like this. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. People are watching you in the workplace, at university, in your home. 
If your kids catch you praying early in the morning, they're more likely when they're big to be people of prayer. If you, if you have kids and you want your kids to attend the house of God, guess what? Make it a priority right now. We teach what we know. We reproduce what we are. We have to attend to our own discipleship. Secondly, there's growing from others. We all have the opportunity to be discipled. It's not the main thrust of what Jesus is saying to the 11, but they've been with him for three years, and we all have others further on. In Acts 18, 23, the Bible tells us after spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from their travel from place to place through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. He was, he was mentoring. He was helping. Thank God for those disciples that they had, Paul. And I thank God in my life for all the people who have helped me grow and are helping me to grow. People that are further on. Some of them I've gone after and I've chased down. And some of them, they would have no idea unless I was to tell them. But their lives have impacted me as I've observed them in certain areas. Before we had kids, there was a, a couple in our, in our church who, who had these beautiful, amazing, godly kids. And we invited them for dinner and we plied them for a whole evening about how do you raise up a godly family? They, were, they went home exhausted. But we're just trying to draw out of them whatever we can, disciple us. We don't know. I didn't know. I, I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I, I didn't know. Tell us, how do you do this? How does it work? I, I just... We drew it out of them. My friend Paul Bedoado from, from Ghana came to our church. I was one of the elders and leaders and preachers, and he was doing his PhD. But in every prayer meeting, he'd light up the room. He'd pray. Something would shift to another level. And after a while, I'd go, who is this guy? And you understand some people have got an authority in prayer that can only be, it can only be one in the trenches of praying. I remember saying, Paul, can I pray with you? I was his leader, but I needed him to lead me in authority of prayer. And reluctantly, he agreed for me to join him in prayer. And for, for three years, two or three years, for two hours every week, I prayed with him. And unwittingly, he mentored me in prayer, and he mentored me in the things, things of the Spirit. Thank God for people that can help us to grow. And I want to say this, I could stay here a long time. But for 30 years of trying to become more like Jesus and help others to do the same, your humility in wanting to learn from others, your teachability in receiving godly counsel, your hunger to grow, your willingness to implement and not just listen will determine your rate of growth as a disciple. That's north, east, west, growing with others. Thank God for Christ-centered community. Thank God for brothers and sisters. Who's grateful for brothers and sisters to be able to run this race with? About half the room. I'm just going to trust the rest of you having a struggle to raise your arm. Thank God for brothers and sisters in Christ. My discipleship is unquestionably stronger because I've had brothers and sisters to run with. Thank God for others. Not someone mentoring me or me mentoring someone, but fellow disciples, journey men and women, other living stones in the spiritual house. Earlier this year, I, I contacted three brothers. We, we live a long way from each other. The, the nearest one is two hours drive away. But, but three other brothers that I want to pray with. And I said, are you up for this? And we've made an agreement. We're three times, three or four times a year. We put three dates in the diary for 2022. We're going to come together, spend a day together in the word and in prayer together. 
Why? Because I, I need that for my discipleship. I know that is going to be rocket fuel into my spirit. And we're, we're making the priority to do it. Brothers and sisters to run with. I'm so grateful to God. I remember my first year at university, cramming into to different students' bedrooms. There were about 12 of us, and we'd, we took it in turns to host in our bedrooms, which were tiny, uh, these Bible studies. And we'd take it in turns to, to lead the Bible study. None of us knew much at all, but we got into the Word together, and we grew together. And I look back now, I think that changed me. I grew in my discipleship. Just being in that place, meeting with a group of friends to pray before breakfast every day. And it changed me. Someone once said, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And the beautiful word of Acts 42 to 47, notice how much together there is. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many signs and wonders performed by the apostles. All the believers were together, had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The right of Hebrews puts it like this, Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who is promised is faithful. Let us consider how we may spur one another on. You know, spurring one another on, that we, we might exhort one another, call one another to a higher level. I thank God for people that have challenged me, brothers that have, have pointed out when I'm wrong, that have called me higher. Paul says, I oppose Peter to his face. He calls him to account. The two heavyweights of New Testament. And one of them's going, come on, my brother. You've lost your focus. This is not what Jesus said. Lifting one another up. Let us spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. The priority of fellowship. We need it for our discipleship. If we're going to be disciples that make disciples, that we prioritize being in a space with brothers and sisters. That's why life groups here are so important. And some of us, we can say, I'm too busy, but we will make time and space for the things that matter. We have to attend to our discipleship, our commitment, being in a space with brothers and sisters, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. Do you know what it means to encourage? It means to bring courage, to encourage one another. The enemy will always go after your confidence and he'll always seek to undermine your authority. But encouragement will bring courage again. And brothers and sisters, we may those that speak the word of God, that prophesy, that proclaim truth, and we bring courage and faith again to one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Disciples making disciples. But finally... It is to help others grow. This, I think we do a disservice to discipleship, not to recognize a fuller picture of center and north and east and west. But here on the mountain with the 11, he's saying, go. Go and make others. Go and find others. Go, not just a few. Don't just double the Talmud in. He, 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 like Jesus is seeing something entirely different. 
You know, there's 11 of them there. Some of them are doubting. By Acts 1, there's 120. By Acts 2, there's 3,000. By Acts 4, there's 5,000 men, probably 20,000. In Acts 6, he says the number of disciples increased rapidly. Is that 40,000? I don't know. In Acts 8, the, the church is scattered. And now it's, it's those who weren't leaders who now become leaders in the places where they're scattered. Go and make disciples of all nations. Here we are. How many are there? Two billion believers in the earth. I don't know, but it comes to pass, but it also comes to us. Will we go and make? I wonder if they felt out of their depth. Let me tell you, you might think you've not got much to give. You've got something to give. Every one of us. My first year at university, I'd not long been a Christian, and I got asked to lead a nurture course, a group, uh, a discipleship group for new Christians. I was like one step ahead of them. I remember we had the first gathering, and I downloaded everything I knew. I had nothing left, and there were three more sessions. I remember phoning my pastor and going, what on earth do I do? And I've told them this, 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 and this. I don't know anything else. I remember him giving me homework and I'd read up and I'd get prepared and then just one step ahead I'd pass on to, to them what I had just come to know myself. You know, some of them are in church leadership today, not because my, my nurture course was that brilliant. But I want to just say this, you might think you've not got much to give, you've got something to give to help others and first and foremost to reach others. Why don't the band come and join me? To reach others. Peter leads the early church, but it's his brother Andrew who leads him to Christ. John 1.41, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother, the Bible says. He goes to Peter, he says, I've found the Messiah. What about us? Yesterday we caught up with my sister's family. My sister's a Christian. She told me that a few weeks ago, in, in her role in work, She'd gone with a colleague to the house of a housebound lady who's 101 years of age. And they knocked the door of this housebound lady who gently and gingerly made her way to the door on her Zimmer frame. But in each hand of her Zimmer frame, she had a tract. A, a, a tract about Jesus. And she gets to the door, 101, and says, Do you ladies know about the love of Jesus? Now, now my, my sister, talk about going to all the world. Go to your front door and make disciples. Here she is, praying for an opportunity, 101, to lead some people to Jesus. And, and my sister says, actually, I do know about the love of Jesus. And they have an exchange. And my sister says, it was a little bit awkward. So when they got back in the car, she said to her colleague, you know, are you okay with that? And it opened up this conversation. And this lady's come with my sister onto an alpha course. She's this far from giving her life to Jesus right now. Because a 101-year-old on a Zimmer frame said to her, do you know about the love of Jesus? I don't know about you, but I'm humbled by that. Disciples make disciples. And this disciple who's going to go home and be in glory pretty soon, she's still in the business of making disciples. And what about us? This week, it takes courage to share our faith. But it's part of it. And then it takes investment and time and love and patience to invest in those who are not as far on as we are. Thank God so much for our kids team here at CLM, our, our youth team, our student team, life group leaders. Opening their homes, giving their time to serve, to outwork the commission that disciples make disciples. We might not see instant change. But like seeds in the ground, if we keep watering, strong plants will emerge. 
Disciples make disciples. Friends, I wonder, can we stand together? If we come back to the mountain and the 11, Jesus says to them, and surely I will be with you even to the ends of the earth. Church, I want to remind us, if you call yourself a Christian today, you're a disciple. It means you've committed to follow Jesus. I want to encourage us this week that we commit ourselves to become more and more like him to see him more clearly, to love him more dearly, to follow him more nearly, day by day, to truly be the disciples that he's looking for, and to understand that he asks us to go and make, he commissions us, he authorizes us to make disciples of others, that we might be active in our encouragement, active in our exhortation, active in our witnessing, active in our giving and sowing of our lives into others because at the end of the day silver, gold and costly stones it is the people of God that matter most to God when we invest in the lives of others I believe this is what will stand the fire more than anything else so why don't you join me in prayer before the band lead us we entered this message singing available Maybe today we could come and finish the message saying the same thing, saying, Lord, here I am. Will you use me? Will you send me? Will you help me? Lord, thank you for your promise to be with us, even to the ends of the age. That seems to me, Lord, like a promise that is alive today. I pray, would you be with us? Would you help us? Help us to be more like you. Help us in our discipleship. Help us in our encouragement of others, God. Help us in our witness. Give us a boldness. Give us a fresh zeal and urgency to share you with others. And an energy to invest our lives in the lives of others. Deliver us from selfishness. Deliver us from convenience and comfort but to be those that would give our lives for the cause to which you've called us. We pray in your precious name. Amen.